The end of a life is a sad occasion, but listen as our friend Randy with Stokes, Proc, and Munt and the Cremation Society tells us about how the end-of-life services they facilitate serve a role they do not take lightly. But as we celebrate a person's life and even tell funny stories about them, that's a very healing thing. I mean, if you can take a family that's crying, sobbing, and and get them laughing about the person that died. That's very healing. That's a very important thing, you know. I mean, we take our work very, very seriously. Randy and the folks at Stokes, Proc, and Munt, along with the Cremation Society, are available to answer any of your questions, including pre-planning your arrangements. Check them out online and on social media. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to A Dose of Dog. I am Heather Mashevsky. I am the owner of Embark. I'm also a certified professional dog trainer and a certified behavior consultant. So today, you know, we, we talk a lot about training here, and we talk a lot about kind of specifics of training. So, um, you know, come and called and reactive dogs and, and, you know, pieces that you would train your dog. But today we're going to look at something that I think a lot of people are confused about. Today we're going to talk about the three kinds of support animals, um, specifically dogs, because that is where my expertise lies. <laughs> so today we're going to kind of decipher the three different kinds of support dogs and what category they fall into and what defines each one of them. So we'll, we're going to talk about service dogs, the difference between a service dog a therapy dog, an emotional support dog. And so what those three jobs, I guess I would say, look like for both the handler and the dog. So there's a lot of, I think, controversy over what, where each of these lie and what requirements they have, um, specifically where they're allowed. I think there's a lot of question as to can my dog, if they are this type of support animal, go in a certain spot and where are they allowed and who has public access and who doesn't. I think for both the humans and the business owners, I think oftentimes have a lot of questions about where each type of these animals kind of fit into the repertoire of public access. So we'll kind of dive into each, each one of these and what makes each dog um, unique and what their job is. So the first one I'm going to start with is therapy dogs, um, which is a great place to start. That is where my kind of expertise lies. I've had therapy dogs for years, done a lot of therapy dog work. Um, we're having a therapy dog workshop actually this weekend along with a test. Um, we're having hosting another therapy dog workshop on October 2nd um, here at Embark. Um, and so let's start with therapy dogs. So a lot of you have seen them maybe in in schools, in um, assisted living facilities, nursing homes, hospitals. So a therapy dog is essentially a dog that is providing support to the people that they are visiting. So an example would be, you know, dogs that are going into assisted living facilities and just kind of su providing support for the residents, perhaps the staff. 
Um, and just being there kind of as a is a comfort dog, really, for people to pet, for people to talk to, um, tell stories. And the places that therapy dogs are allowed, those facilities have asked those dogs to come into those facilities. So they don't just walk in the door. They've actually been asked usually to partake in some kind of a program. So again, assisted living facilities, um, hospitals, uh, schools, um, memory care facilities. Uh, we've done a lot of work at the universities. So if you think about what uh, finals week looks like, there's usually quite a lot of stress involved. So we've done a lot of work with with uh, the finals week at the university, at the technical school. Um, we've done some fundraisers for United Way where we just kind of had the dogs on site during different events. Um, we've done some work at... Um, some of the university's LBGTQ um, uh, clubs and, and uh, facilities just to kind of have the dogs on hand just as support animals. So there's a lot of different places that therapy dogs can be can be utilized. And, and again, they're being asked to come into those places. So, so a therapy dog doesn't actually have public access rights. They're not allowed in every facility that, that a service dog would be allowed. They're actually asked to come into that facility. So they're not legally, um, they can't fly in an airplane. Um, legally, they can't be on a bus or like public transit. Um, and so therapy dogs are just kind of there, not not to support their handler, but they're there to support the people that they're visiting. Um, now, a therapy dog always is going somewhere with their handler, so their handler always has to kind of be in that in in the environment with them. So the therapy dog isn't just going off by themselves; the handler is always coming with them. Um, and to become a therapy dog, the the kind of the route that most people take for their dogs to become therapy dogs is you know, taking some classes because the dogs have to be pretty rock solid on dealing with novel environments, slippery floors, weird noises, all of those things usually are involved in a lot of the therapy dog visits. So those things are all important for a dog to be really comfortable with. Different kinds of people, different kinds of people with different kinds of gates, um, possibly medical equipment, wheelchairs, canes, um, oxygen, uh, you know, any kind of any kind of thing that you might see in assisted living or in a hospital setting, the dogs have to be pretty comfortable with because we're kind of asking them to just relax in those environments and just allow people to pet them, maybe tell stories about their own dogs of the past and just kind of get some comfort from the dog's presence. Um, usually therapy dogs, when we, when we go into facilities, the dog has some kind of identifying bandana. Most therapy dog organizations, the dogs are not required to wear any kind of vest or anything because that kind of that kind of takes away some of the petting space on the dog. So usually a bandana that will say, you know, pet partners or Therapy Dog International or Alliance of Therapy Dogs, they usually have some kind of identifying um, bandana or something on them as well as the handler. The handlers always have their identification as well. Um, and when you test with the therapy dog, you're testing as a team. So whoever has tested with that dog is the one that is taking them into that facility. Um, and what a therapy dog test looks like is the dogs have to be, have some obedience. So, you know, have some kind of basic just manners around a lot of different environments. They um, also, when they take the test, they are exposed to other dogs, to medical equipment, to loud noises, to children, and they have to be pretty solid around all of those things. And then once they pass the test, the handler has to submit 
um, veterinary statements that say the dog is socially savvy or socially stable, I guess I would say, with some vaccine requirements. So I think for most organizations, rabies, distemper, parvo, adenovirus are usually the ones that are required along with a yearly fecal. So, you know, just like we would do with any dog, just that yearly exam um, kind of submitting that information. And they have to do that every year. Um, depending upon the therapy dog organization, some dogs have to test every two years. Um, some dogs test and then they just sign a code of ethics that say my dog's you know, personality hasn't changed. They're still safe in these environments. They're still comfortable in these environments. So that's what a therapy dog, that's, those are, that's kind of the role of a therapy dog. Um, and then, you know, as a therapy dog handler, your responsibility is just making sure your dog is comfortable in that environment, kind of mitigating any hazards that they might come across. You know, if someone is being too, you know, assertive with their petting and you can tell by your dog's body language that they're getting uncomfortable, those are all kind of the the, the places of the handler in those organiz- in the, those kinds of of um, environments, um, and again, they're 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 in a lot of different facilities. One one particular environment that they've gotten really popular in is a is the reading program. So what that entails is the dog having sitting with a single student. So you know, possibly in like a little reading nook of some sort, um, and the dog is sitting kind of patiently by the the child, and the dog is the, the dog is reading to the kid. The <laughs> child is reading to the dog. Um, and there's some cool literature behind um, kids doing this with dogs, how they have kind of a non-judgmental listener in that scenario where they can just read to the dog and they get comfortable, you know, with different, you know, sounding out sentences and words. Um, and the handler's just kind of there. If they if the child has a question, they can answer it. Otherwise, they just kind of allow the kid to just be um, and read to the dog. So that's a pretty cool um, environment that you see therapy dogs in. And I, uh, gosh, I think with all of the people that we've tested here, I think we have like 120 or so dogs that have come through our programs and tested and that are out working. Some of the stories you hear are pretty amazing. Like it's pretty cool, um, to hear, you know, the successes that the dogs have had. So that's what a therapy dog is. So, um, again, they don't have public access rights. Um, they're only going into environments that they have been asked to, um, they are specially trained, so we do have them trained to be able to handle those environments. However, they're not doing a task like a service dog does, which we'll we'll talk about. Um, and again, they're just kind of comforting the people that they're around. They're not providing necessarily anything to their handler. However, we all know that all of our dogs provide <laughs> comfort to all of us. Um, so that's what a therapy dog is. Um, and, and there's, there's most organizations have some rules as far as what a therapy dog can be, um, most therapy dog organizations do not allow dogs to cross, um, have have jobs that are similar. So most service dogs are not allowed to be therapy dogs because, again, a therapy dog is doing work for the other person. A, a service dog is specifically trained to do a task for the handler. So they can't be distracted by someone petting them um, while their handler perhaps is having like a low blood sugar incident. So um, there are some rules. Um, there also are some really kind of great training rules for therapy dogs. Um, most organizations 
Um, don't allow dogs that have been trained on an e-collar or a shock collar to um, take a therapy dog test. And the reason for that is because we know a lot about um, how aversive training tools um, can create problems later in the in down the line. So a lot of aversive training tools are suppressing certain behaviors in dogs, and we don't want those to pop up later in that dog's career where um, they have been taught to sit or to stay or to down, perhaps with electricity. Um, and they have associatively paired that training collar with like a certain kind of person that they might be around. Um, and the literature on that is really clear. So the therapy dogs have kind of taken that literature up and made it part of their protocol for training. So um, so there's a lot of rules around kind of who can be a therapy dog and how the training um, is is to be played out essentially. So that's what a therapy dog is. So, you know, the, the next piece I want to talk about is a service dog because I think that's one area that... <laughs> A lot of people have questions about and they're not sure where they can go and who is one and I know a lot of businesses that I've talked to are confused as far as you know do I let this dog in do I not they don't have a cape on <laughs> and all of those those questions so let's dive into that so a service dog is a dog that is very specifically trained to do a task and when I say a task what I mean is a service dog could be providing mobility support so perhaps it's helping someone in a wheelchair perhaps it's just helping someone when maybe they sit in a chair and they have to get up out of that chair so they're providing you know kind of a brace for that person um it maybe that dog is doing some mobility tasks like picking up their keys so if the person maybe is limited in you know flexion of their back perhaps maybe that dog is picking things up for them um, a service dog another venue that a service that you see a lot of service dogs in is uh helping people with limited vision um, so people that are blind, people that have have limited vision, those dogs are helping guide them kind of through the world. Um, so you see guide dogs to the blind, leader dogs. There's a lot of different venues um, that you see uh, those dogs helping. So a service dog um, is is helping those people, you know, navigate the world essentially. Um, hearing dogs, so dogs that are cueing people into sounds. So maybe your alarm, your f smoke detector, that's a really big one. Um, water being left on in an apartment, I help train a dog for that. Um, so there's a lot of um, um, hearing tasks that we forget that dogs can provide because they're way better at hearing than, than, all, than all of us, <laughs> regardless of what kind of hearing you have. Um, diabetic alert dogs, that's another big service dog task. So those dogs are taught to indicate when um, blood glucose drops. And these dogs can indicate this well before a blood monitor, glucose monitor can. So it's pretty amazing to see these dogs indicate when blood sugar starts to drop. Um, whether that's out in public, a lot of people that occurs when they're sleeping. Um, and so the dogs are waking them up and, um, you know, asking them to treat a low blood sugar at night or a high perhaps during the day, kind of both. So diabetic alert dogs, and there are some dogs that cross train in, um, you know, possibly guide dog work and diabetic alert alert work as well. I know some dogs, I have dear friends out at Guide Dogs for the Blind in Portland, and I know they're doing some cross training with that. Um, PTSD dogs, so dogs that are supporting their handler through you know, moments where there might be really levels of high anxiety in certain contexts and the dogs are there to support them. Um, seizure support dogs, so dogs that are there to support someone after they have a seizure. We don't have anything that helps train a dog to indicate a seizure because we don't have anything to train them on. You know, diabetic alert dogs, we have um, samples, you know, 
swabs from their saliva of low blood sugar that we can work with. With seizure dogs, we don't have that. So, But most dogs that are trained as seizure support dogs end up queuing into when their person is, is pre-seizure usually. So um, that's pretty cool. Um, and then autism support dogs. So a service dog could be an autism support dog, um, usually for kids under the age of, I think they say six, where they're just kind of helping keep them safe. You know, they're not wandering off. The dog is kind of keeping them, um, you know, in the house, on the grounds or whatever it might be. Um, so those tasks are really specific to their handler. Um, and service dogs are allowed public access, which means by virtue of the ADA Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act, these dogs are allowed to fly in a cabin of a plane. They're allowed to go in the grocery store. Um, they're allowed to really travel with you anywhere um, because they are kind of a, a tool, essentially, that are helping you um, get through the world. So, you know, having that dog in the grocery store when your blood sugar drops um, is going to be a really, really important part of your um, ability to kind of, you know, be out in the public realm with a little bit of support from a dog. Um, seeing eye dogs, I mean, we know that, of course, you know, the, a lot of the people that have seeing eye dogs are helping them, you know, just, just have a life out in public where they can travel and they can be in a cab and they can go to the grocery store and go for walks and things like that. So the dog is essentially a tool. A service dog is kind of looked at as a, a kind of extension of that person. Um, and so again, those dogs are allowed to, to go anywhere. Um, you know, the big question often is, is, you know, do service dogs have to be registered or do they have to have any kind of gear? And they don't, there's no certifying organization, I guess I would say that certifies therapy dogs. You know, a lot of them come out of organizations that are really well known, um, but there legally does not have to be any kind of identifying gear on a service dog that says they are a service dog. And I think that's a big um, myth that's kind of out there. You know, people perhaps might have a diabetic alert dog that doesn't have any, you know, identifying gear on them. And a lot of people think that that is misrepresenting that dog, but it's not actually that that dog could, is probably, <laughs> um, you know, a, a very... Um, important service dog and it doesn't need to have anything like a cape or a vest or anything like that on it. So I think that is a myth that is often kind of out there in the in the public realm. Um, and this dog, so um, this dog is essentially providing skills to just its handler. And so the, the problem, I guess, lies that a lot of people are perhaps claiming their dog is a service dog when maybe the dog isn't actually doing a really specific task that they've been trained to do for that person. Um, and then like interrupting, you know, service dogs that are out in public that are just, they're kind of minding their own business. You know, if you have a service dog, it should be invisible in public. You should not even know that that dog is there. It's just kind of a, a quiet, you know, piece of that handler. Um, and there are a lot of dogs that I think are, have, have gone into public settings that maybe they're not allowed to and interfered with the work of a service dog, which is really unfortunate because, you know, a lot of the people that, that are getting a service dog are doing it so they finally can get out into these public settings. Um, and they're finally allowed to kind of be in these public settings. And there's a lot of questions I think that have come up as far as like what dogs are allowed. Um, so again, service dogs are allowed kind of anywhere, you know, they're, they're, uh, extension of the person. They're performing a task um, that that handler can't perform due to a specific disability. So they're out kind of in the public realm um, just doing their job, really. And again, uh, 
they should be kind of invisible when you see them. You shouldn't even really notice that they're there, which is why we don't ask to pet them, right? We, we, I mean, those dogs are continuously kind of checking blood sugar perhaps on their humans. So um, interfering with that could be dangerous or detrimental to their person. Um, so that's kind of what a service dog is. And then the last category that I wanted to talk about is an emotional support dog. And I think this is the one that gets a little confusing for a lot of people because there isn't really a super defining quality to an emotional support dog. I mean, I would say, and I bet all of you would agree with me that all of our dogs are emotional support dogs. My gosh, I mean, they got us through this year. (laughs) They got us through a lot of things. So I think we all would agree that all of our dogs are emotional support dogs. But really the role of an emotional support dog, um, and there's, I mean, gosh, you know, people have emotional support, you know, chickens and llamas and snakes and you name it. Um, but I'm just going to speak specifically to dogs because that's where my my area lies, I guess. Um, so emotional support dogs are there just to comfort their handler. So they're kind of like your own personal therapy dog, I guess I would say. Um And those dogs, so ESA dogs or emotional support animals, don't have public access rights. Um, They did for a while on public transport. So um, a lot of the airlines were allowing um, emotional support animals to be on board in the cabin with you. But that changed in December 2020 um, just with some problems that have come up in flying with some of these animals, just some... um, you know, behavior issues that may have come up and, and, you know, because there isn't a national like blanket statement as far as the things an emotional support dog needs to know, um, it's kind of become a problem out and about. So um, they don't have the public access rights that a service dog has. However, um, they do have um, rights as far as housing. So ESA animals are allowed um, in public housing, um, even if there's like a no pets policy. So um, an ESA animal um, is, is they do have that right um, out there. And again, public access is, or, or I'm sorry, public transportation is still kind of up in the air. I think it's kind of um, each airline, I think, um, is kind of determining whether they will take like an ESA dog or not. Um, and, and the reason for that is because emotional support dogs, there's no national standard or there's no standard as far as what they have to know. They haven't had or they're not required to have any special kind of training to help their person. So the so the reason that they're often not allowed in some of these settings is because there isn't kind of a standard of training that these dogs have had to go through to kind of prove that they can handle environments. And honestly, I see a lot of ESA dogs out in public that probably shouldn't be there. Like you can tell that dog is really stressed out in some of the venues that they're in, which isn't really fair to that dog. I mean, if they haven't been socialized and learned to handle that environment, that's really stressful for a dog. I mean, just being out in public for most dogs is pretty stressful. Um, You know, especially around the summer when there's a lot of parades and like big settings, um, you see a lot of indicators of stress from some of the dogs that might be out in public. Um, And they maybe just it's maybe they didn't have, you know, the socialization as a puppy where where they were brought up kind of in that environment to handle it, Um, which is kind of concerning. Like we don't want that dog to be stressed, (laughs) Um, you know, because they're they're not really there. They're not really available at that point to support their human, <laughs> I guess, at that point. So um, so those are the difference. So we kind of have the three. So we have a service dog, 
a therapy dog and an emotional support dog. So just to kind of regroup, service dogs are kind of allowed anywhere um, based on the ADA. So there's so let's kind of regroup those three kinds of support animals. You know, they all have such a important role um, for their human and for the the people that they're providing support to. So just kind of as a regroup, the service dogs are allowed in any public setting um, based on the ADA laws. So those dogs are there to kind of mitigate a um, disability that the person has and the dogs are just kind of an extension of that person to help them get through the environments that they're in. Um, and then the second kind is the, the therapy dog. Actually, we talked about that first, but the therapy dogs are, are those dogs that are being asked to come into a facility. Um, and all these dogs go through a certification test. So they, they with this test comes a insurance policy. I guess I didn't mention that. Um, and so the reason for them going through the test is so that they can have this uh, insurance as they're going into different facilities and visiting. So that sets them apart quite a bit from a service dog and an emotional support dog. So that's a therapy dog. And again, they're being asked to come into places. So they don't abide by the ADA laws. They're just, they're just being asked by specific facilities. Um, and then the ESA dog. So emotional support dogs are there to, to provide support specifically to their person and not as a task, but just as like a comfort, um, you know, to get through difficult times, anxiety, you know, whatever it might be. So those are kind of the definitions of the three kind of support animals. Um, we're going to link a little graphic um, to the podcast so you can take a look at it. I think it's helpful for business owners and just humans um, to kind of know the difference between the three because I think there's some there's quite a bit of confusion out there. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about therapy dogs, you can certainly um, take a look at our website at embarkdog.com. We're doing another workshop in October. We usually offer about four of them a year, um, and we do offer therapy dogs tests from now and then. So um, hopefully that answers everyone's questions. Um, and take a look at the graphic if you if you kind of need some further information um, uh, between the three kinds of animals.